Thank you so much. Let me invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ruth in chapter number one, the book of Ruth chapter. Jesus Christ is your Savior, well, the great invitation of the Bible is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the one thing about Christ and the Word of God and, and our God is that they want to be found. It's not a, a hidden thing. It's not a mystery. It's all laid out so beautifully in the Word of God. How a sinner like me can know Jesus Christ as Savior. And this morning, if you don't know him, what a great day to know. There's no, no friend. There's no friend like you have your Bible this morning to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. And, and in Ruth, chapter one, verse number six, we have watched a family fall apart. We preached about it in Sunday school, about this gentleman, Elimelech. His name means, my God is my king, but his life said, my woman is my king. And he begins to make a series of choices that bring great ruin. And, and, and I know you've known widows that are having incredibly hard times, and I've certainly met ladies like that. But understand, in Bible days, a, a widow, well, a widow was facing some incredible hardships. Remember, even in the New Testament, the Bible tells us, forget about how the wicked people, the religious establishment would come along, and they would devour widows' houses. They would basically knock on the door of a widow and say, you didn't pay your tithe to our religion, so we're taking your house. And I mean, a widow was facing some very hard times. There's nobody that would take care of them. And, and when we come to Ruth chapter 1 in verse number 6, a woman's lost her husband. A woman has lost her boys. A woman doesn't have any grandchildren after 10 years of marriage. And, and I get it. In, in our culture, it's a different thing. But in Bible times, I mean, that was priority number one, getting boys to help out in the family business, getting children to carry on the family name. And by the time 10 years have gone by, well, it wasn't just that one of your sons didn't have any children. Both of them did. You can see the hand of God in all of this. There are no sons. There are no grandsons. For this woman, Naomi, there is no husband. And my, it is a crisis in her life. It is a hard time, a dark time, a destitute time. And in verse number six, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. That's sad, isn't it? Why, long ago she should have returned to the Lamb to Bethlehem, Judah. But no, she waits until the famine is over. And I wonder if we don't get a little glimpse into the story right here. I wonder if we don't get the picture that maybe one of the reasons that Elimelech took his family to Bethlehem or to Moab was because Naomi wasn't all that pleasant and all that happy. She's not ready to go home until the famine is over. Well, 
The Bible says in verse 7, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us now as we open the Bible and you would speak to every man, lady, every young person. Father, I ask and pray that we would have a heart that would say yes to you, yes to the will of God. So we ask you to do great and mighty works in the great name of Jesus, my Savior, I pray. Amen. It is the story of three ladies coming to the crossroads. Literally, as we look at Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 10, we can watch three ladies come to the crossroads of two countries. I mean, in one direction, there is the land of Moab. Often the other way, there is a land called Bethlehem, Judah. And it is time for Naomi to return home. After, at a minimum of 20 years, she figures, well, it's time to go back. It's time to return home. Now that the famine is over, I guess I can obey the Bible again. And so we watch as these two daughters and law, Ruth and Orpah, they join their mother-in-law, Naomi, and they come to the crossroads. I wonder if they didn't have a rickety little sign there, you know. One arrow points that way to Bethlehem, Judah, and the other arrow pointing that way back to the land of Moab. And what we have in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 10, is the story of three ladies saying goodbye. Now, I have to admit, as much as it hurts, but I guess I have to admit, being a gentleman this morning, that if this were the story of three men saying goodbye, there wouldn't be a story, would there? I mean, the men, forget it, they wouldn't have gotten this far in the first place. But, you know, three joking men, that would have been an adios, see you later, and they would have been on their way. But fortunately, when the Lord made Eve, I think he got right what he may have got wrong the first time. I don't know, but, but he certainly got it right the second time. And he certainly gave ladies a whole lot more class and a whole lot more of everything that we didn't get much of. And so when we come to Ruth 1.10, this is the story of three ladies saying goodbye. And as you know, the ladies don't quite say goodbye like the men do. And, and so you can almost see the emotions starting to build. And these daughters-in-law have joined their mother-in-law, Naomi. And, and now it's time to say goodbye. And, and Naomi says, well, it's time for you ladies to go back. I'm moving on to Bethlehem, Judah. And, and you go back to the land of Moab. Go back to your comfortable life. And, and you can just see the tears starting to well up in their eyes and, and nobody wants to be the first one, you know, and, and pretty soon Naomi comes up and hugs Ruth's neck and, and Ruth hugs Orpah's neck and Orpah's hugging Naomi's neck and the next thing you know, it's a group hug and, and sure enough, the Bible tells us in verse number 10, then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. Well, of course they did. And sometimes the ladies cry when they say hello. They cry when they say goodbye. It's, this is a good thing, please. It's a real good thing. And the Bible tells us that at the crossroads, the ladies are emotional. And they lifted up their voice and they wept. And in verse 10, it was so emotional. They, the daughters-in-law, said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Mom, we can't let you go back. You don't even know where the next meal's coming from. There's no boy. There is no grandson. Hi, times are tough and times are hard. There's nobody to help you. Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And so in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 10, we have a classic moment in the Bible where two ladies, two, could I say, Moabitess ladies, and that is certainly going to be a critical theme. Two Moabitess ladies 
from the land of Moab, Ruth and Orpah have come to the crossroads. Right here and right now, they are standing between two nations. But you know, it's not just the crossroads of two countries. It's not just, am I going to go to Bethlehem? Am I going to go to Moab? No, much more than that. And little could they know, but these ladies are literally standing at the crossroads of their lives. Because in the next few moments, Ruth and Orpah are going to make the single biggest choice they will ever make save for one. Do you know the greatest choice Ruth ever made? You read about it in chapter 2, verse number 12, where she decided to rest under the wings of Jehovah. You know that old song, Under His Wings? It comes from the book of Ruth, where Ruth made that choice. I am not trusting in Chemosh to save me. I am not trusting in a dead idol of gold to save me. I am under the wings of Jehovah, my Savior. Under Jesus' wings, that's where Ruth was safely abiding. But you know, outside of calling on the name of the Lord and being saved, well, the next greatest choice they're ever going to make is right here in verse number 10. Because it's not just standing at the crossroads of two nations. It's not just do I live in Bethlehem, Judah, or do I go back to the land of Moab? No, it's more than that. In Bethlehem, Judah, they bow their knee to the Lord, to Jehovah, to the Savior of Israel. In the land of Moab, there were many gods, but the biggest one was an idol named Chemosh. So it is a whole lot more than Bethlehem, Judah, or Moab. The choice is also, do I bow my knee to Jehovah? Do I bow my knee to the Chemosh? There's something else here. And it's Miss Naomi who explains it. Ladies, if you go with me to Bethlehem, Judah, you don't know how hard life is going to be. Now, I am a widow, and for me, it's impossible. I am a widow who doesn't know where the next meal's coming from. But if you go to Bethlehem, Judah, not only are you going to be widows, you're going to be widows who are minuses. So she is basically saying, you better go back to your family, go back to your friends, go back to your gods, go back to your old way of life, because if you join me in Bethlehem, Judah, life is going to be so incredibly difficult you can't explain it. So do you understand, standing at the crossroads in Ruth 1 and 10, this is a whole lot more than perhaps first appears. Two ladies, Ruth and Orpah, have a choice to make. All right, Orpah, all right, Ruth, you have to decide. Is it Bethlehem, Judah, or is it Moab? Is it going to be Jehovah, the God of Israel? Is it going to be Chemosh, the pagan idol of Chemosh, or, or, or Moab? Are you going to go the right way, but the incredibly hard way, beyond our ability to understand as Americans, where you don't even know where the next meal's coming from? Or are you going to go back to the land of Moab, where life is comfortable? Are you going to go back where there's plenty of help for you? So it is time for two ladies to decide. Tomorrow shall be too late. Right here and right now, these ladies have to decide. Is it Bethlehem, Judah? Is it Moab? Is it Jehovah? Is it Chemosh? Do I go the hard way but the right way? Do I go the easier way but the wrong way? Stepping to the plate is this lady by the name of Orpah. All right, Orpah. Right here and right now, you have to decide. You know, the interesting thing is as you read Ruth chapter 1, you will never discover Orpah making the wrong choice. I mean, it's not like she walks up to her mother-in-law, grabs her by the coat and says, you know, I have had it up to here with you. I've had it up to here with your God. I've had it up to here with the Bible. Get out of my life. Turn around and run back into Moab and bow down in front of the first bronze chemosh that she sees. It's not like she started singing, I have decided to follow Satan 
There's no song like that. The truth is that when you look at this woman, Orpah, she never makes the wrong choice. But do you know what the problem is with Orpah? Though it is true she never makes the wrong choice, the big problem is that she never makes the right choice. And this is where, as we mentioned in Sunday school, that names become so incredibly significant. Because the name Orpah is a name literally in the language of the Old Testament. It meant the back of the neck. It's the picture of somebody kind of always looking behind them. The name Orpah led us to a word called double-minded. You know the verse in the Bible, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, the name Orpah basically means I just can't make up my mind. I got two minds about everything. And that's the story of Ruth chapter 1. Orpah has come to the crossroads of two lands. Are you going to serve Jehovah? Are you going to serve Chemosh? Are you going to go the hard way but the right way? Are you going to go the easy way but the wrong way? And the problem with Orpah is not that she made the wrong choice. However, the thing about Orpah is that she never made the right choice. The problem with Orpah, when it is time to make the biggest choice of her life, she doesn't make any choice at all. Now, look, I don't know if this is true of every little girl. I've got one daughter who's married now, okay? So this is no longer an issue. She got over this one a long time ago. But when poor little Becky was about this high, if there was one thing she couldn't do, she just couldn't make up her mind about anything. I mean, not about anything. I take my poor little girl into the, into the Circle K, or you have 7-Elevens, you know, what do you have out here, 7-Elevens? Circle K, what do you call this now here? You know what I mean, right? Yeah, one of those. Thank you. Ms. Glenda, she's writing the messages this week. She forgot to put that in there. Got to get that right. And you go in the little store. I said, all right, Beck, you pick out a candy bar. And I'd go get what I was getting. And I'd come back, and my poor little daughter would be in front of the candy counter. And, you know, they can be awfully big in some of these places. And, and poor little Becky, she couldn't decide. I don't know what was going on in her little mind. She'd be saying M&M's or Skittles, Three Musketeers or Nestle's Crunch. M&M's, they melt in your mouth, not in your hand. This is a good thing if I'm driving in the truck with Dad. Skittles, that's like real fruit. It's like eating an apple. It's good for you. Three Musketeers, big on chocolate, low on fat. Uh, and Nestle's Crunch, the official candy bar of the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know what was going on in her mind. But I got to tell you, my poor little girl would stay there all day long. And if I let her, she'd give it one of these, and then she'd give it one of these. And it was M&Ms or Skittles. Will you just please decide? And poor little Becky, well, she was kind of like Orpah, standing at the crossroads to make the biggest choice in her life. And, and here's the right way. Here's the easy way. Here's God's way. Here's the wrong way. She He's got a choice to make. Do I go the hard way and the right way? Do I go the easy way and the wrong way? And it's not like she ever made the wrong choice. The problem with little Becky and the problem with dear old Orpah is that she didn't make any choice. M&Ms or Skittles, what are you going to do with your life? So when Miss Orpah's standing at the crossroads and she can't decide, do you know what happens next? The Bible tells us that her mother-in-law makes the choice for her. It says in verse number 11, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. And by the way, can I just stop there for a second? Uh, some of you like to do some very serious study in the Bible. One of the greatest words to study in the Bible in Ruth chapter 1 is the word turn. Turn or return or any form of the word turn. If you just go ahead and line that up in Ruth chapter 1, you're, you're going to 
to see something absolutely amazing. And the Bible tells us her mother-in-law said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Here it is again. Turn again, my daughters, and go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Here is Orpah standing at the crossroads. Right here and right now, lady, you have a choice to make. Is it God? Is it Chemosh? Is it the right way and the hard way? The easy way and the wrong way? And when she stands at the crossroads waffling back and forth, it is not that she makes the right choice. It is not that she makes the wrong choice. Poor old Orpah doesn't make any choice. So her mother-in-law steps in and Naomi says, turn again, turn around and go right back to your land, go right back to your friends, go right back to your comfortable life. But the worst thing, go back to your gods. When she has to make the biggest choice of her life, she lets somebody else do it for her. So we're standing in the candy counter. Come on, Beck, what are you going to do? Is it M&M's or Skittles? Is it Three Musketeers or Nestle's Crunch? And you know, when my patience kind of wore out, I'd say, all right, Beck, here we go. And uh, now I'm going to really date myself. I do have seven grandchildren, and, and, and I'm going to really, really date myself. I take out, and this, this, this really is, this. there really used to be these things. And if you don't believe me, you can Google it. I took out what they used to call in the old, old days a watch. No, 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 no. Not a computer you wore on your wrist, a real watch, you know, just like tick, 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 tick. I take the watch out and I kind of hold it up and I say, okay, Beck, here we go. And we'd start to count down 10, 9, 8. Now my little girl's starting to shake like this, you know, 6, 5, 4. And now there's some sweat coming out on her forehead. 3, 2, 1. And by the time we got down to zero, something was going to happen. Either Becky was going to figure out if it was M&M's or Skittles, Three Musketeers or Nestle's Crunch. You'd say, yeah, and if she didn't, then she got nothing. No, no, no. This is my little girl now. If it were the boys, <laughs> you snooze, you lose. We're out of here. Better luck next time. <laughs> But you can't do that with your little girl. So when we got down to zero, one of two things happens. Either Beck is going to figure out if it's M&M's or Skittles, but if she couldn't decide, then old Pop was going to make the decision for her. When Orpah stands at the crossroads saying, Bethlehem, Judah, or Moab, Jehovah, or Chemosh, the hard way and the right way, the easy way and the wrong way, M&M's or Skittles, I just can't decide. Her mother-in-law steps in and makes the choice for her. You know, when it comes to life decisions, they are so critical and they are so important. You and I have got to understand these are things we have to determine and we have to decide. Somebody is going to make choices. It happens all the time. I suspect that last night, maybe within a stone's throw, if you have a good arm, of this building right here, Perhaps the police were called to a home where a young mother, 23, 24 years old, maybe with one or two precious little children, had to face the horror of a drunken husband last night. He staggers up the sidewalk, and, and one more time, that drunken husband goes into a house, and, and maybe right here in Franklin, Tennessee, will beat his wife and his little girl to the place where that young mother says, I can't live like this anymore. And now, 
with that man gone, a young mother's got to figure out how am I going to take care of a, a little boy, a little girl, some little mouse to feed for the next 18 years. But what if we could go back in time four or five years when that young lady was getting ready to graduate from high school? Here she is, a senior in one of the high schools right around this place. And, and what if your pastor could say, you know, what's the goal? What's the plan of your life? Do you think in the history of the world, some 18-year-old senior in high school got a smile on her face? And said, you know what I think? I think I'd like to marry somebody who's going to come home drunk and beat my little children. Until one day I have to leave them and for a runaway and, and, and somehow i got to spend the rest of my life taking care of these kids alone. In the history of the world, do you think there's ever been a young lady who said, I choose to be miserable? Well, one day we're going to have to wake up in a society and say, if nobody ever chooses to be miserable... Why are there so many people that are just flat out miserable? I mean, there could be a guy, you know, 18 years old, graduating from high school this year. And the pastor says, you know, what are you going to do with your life? Well, you know, I should, I need to, I want to, I ought to, M&Ms or Skittles. I just don't know. And so the guy graduates, you know, he gets a job, he's working somewhere. And one night the guy say, you know, after, after work tonight, we're all going to stop down at the sports bar and, and uh, we're going to get some drinks and watch a football game. And, and the guy's thinking, well, I don't have no business being in a sports bar with unsaved guys. No, 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 no. You know, we know you go to church. You know, you don't have to drink. The, no, no, no. We're just going to watch the game. And so he goes down the sports bar and watches the ball game and, and, and why nobody, get, nobody gets in a wreck on the way home. Nobody dies on the way home. That was a lot of fun. And they go to next week and the next week. And, and then the next week, somebody's got a birthday and we're going to have a toast. And you can't have a toast with a Coke. And after all, what's wrong with one beer? You know, every drunk started with one beer. Every single one. That's, that's where it starts. If there never was the first one, there wouldn't be the second one. So last night, that drunken guy who beats his family, the drunk who drives on the wrong side of the highway, uh, the dr and, and every sorry thing comes from drunken abuse and drug abuse. Ask any policeman that works with families and goes to homes all through the weekend. It all starts in the same place. What's wrong with one beer? And before long, one beer turns into two beers, turns into two nights a week. And it all goes back to that spot. It all goes back to that point where somebody lets somebody else make the choice for them. M&Ms or Skittles? Standing at the crossroads, Orpah, you have a choice to make. Is it God's way? Is it your way? Are you going to follow the Bible? Or are you going to follow Chemosh? Do you go the hard way and the right way? Do you choose the easy way and the wrong way? And it is not that Orpah makes the wrong choice. The problem with good old double-minded Orpa is that she doesn't make any choice. M&Ms or Skittles. If there's one thing this Orpa's teaching us this morning, no choice is the wrong choice. But you know, there's a second lady standing at the exact same crossroads, isn't there? Notice, if you would, in Ruth chapter 1, at the end of verse number 14, while it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, you can almost see her shrug her shoulders, kiss her mother-in-law, and, and the next thing you know, she's at, walking over the hill, and, and she walks right off the pages of the Bible, unless, of course, the historians are correct, and the Old Testament Jewish historians, not the Bible, claim that she was the great-grandmother of Goliath. That would have been fascinating. But leaving that aside, she walks right off the pages of the Bible with a kiss for her mother-in-law. 
But there is that little phrase, but Ruth clave unto her. The word cleave is a very unique English word. It's its own opposite. There are very few words like this. You can go into the deli and the guy takes the knife and he cleaves the meat and he cuts it and separates it. Or you can forget to put the bounce in the dryer and the shirt just kind of clings to you all day long. Isn't it fascinating? But we really have both definitions of the word cleave in one verse. One daughter-in-law cleaves and separates and goes to the land of Moab but the other one clings to her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So with her own, with Orpah going over the hillside, here is Ruth walking up and standing next to Naomi, basically saying, I'm going with you to Bethlehem, Judah. And in verse number 15, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. There is no way around the fact those words are wicked words. But all it does is set up one of those classic moments in the Bible. And in verse number 16, it is a moment for the ages. And Ruth is stepping up, and Ruth says, it is time for me to make a choice. A second ago, we witnessed Orpah standing at the exact same place, saying M&Ms or Skittles, I just can't decide. And now it's time for Ruth at the exact same place to make the exact same choice. Bethlehem, Judah, or Moab, Jehovah, or Chemosh, the hard way and the right way, or the easy way and the wrong way. And my, not only does she get it right for the ages, she shows you and me how to make a choice for the Lord. Notice where it begins in verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. Could I stop and say those are incredibly strong words? You know, the one thing as we read the Bible we can do is read the words, but we can't hear what it sounded like. These words are incredibly powerful. It is kind of like you and me looking at somebody in anger saying, Knock it off. And now this woman, Ruth, is looking at her mother and treat me not. Don't you dare tell me to go back to the old way of life. Don't you dare tell me to go back to some pagan idol. Don't you dare tell me to go back to that place of misery and wickedness. She is basically, you might say, reading the riot act to her mother-in-law. She may well have put a finger in her face and said, enough of this talk. Very, very strong and very, very powerful. And treat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. And watch this conviction now. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. I mean, to tell you, in no uncertain terms, Ruth is laying it out. Excuse me, ma'am, but I am going to go where God wants me to go. I am going to live where God wants me to live. The people of God are now my people, not the people of Moab. And not only that, the God of Israel is my God. And madam, if that aren't, is not enough, this is a choice that I am making for the rest of my life. Until I die, I am deciding to follow Jesus. I got to tell you, in a moment in time, this woman has just showed us how to surrender to the will of God. This woman has just showed you and me what to do on Monday morning when we wake up. She has just showed us all exactly what God is looking for from you and me. He is looking for somebody who will say, not me, but Christ. I go where God wants. I live where God wants. He is my God. His people are my people. And this is for the rest of my life. And if that weren't bold enough and strong enough, at the end of verse number 17, she takes what is known in the Old Testament as an oath. Now, she must have done something with her hands right here because uh, what we don't know is what she did. What we do know is what she said. When she said, the Lord do so to me, there's something she did right there. Can I take a guess? 
She may have taken her hands. This would have been a very common thing and given it one of these. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She is taking an oath like you and I would walk into a courtroom and put her hand on the Bible to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Whatever the oath meant, whatever she did, whatever the physical act that she claimed, she is basically saying, until I die, I'm living for the will of God. My life for the will of God. Wherever God wants me to go, whatever God wants me to do, if it is the will of God for me to be a poor widow in the land of Bethlehem, then I shall be a poor widow in the land of Bethlehem, but no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, no matter where I go, for the rest of my life, I am deciding to follow Jesus. What a moment in time. Folks, this is not the story of one lady who stood at the crossroads and started to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, and another lady singing, I have decided to follow Chemosh. This is the story of one lady at the crossroads saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And another lady saying, M&Ms or Skittles, I just can't decide. You see, the devil wants you and I to think as long as we don't choose against Christ, everything's okay. But folks, that's a grave error because Jesus said either you're with me or you're against me. If you're not with me, there is no neutrality when it comes to the Lord. There is no middle ground. If someone is not with him, they are against him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But do you know why somebody goes to hell? You know, people would think, well, the opposite of that verse, right? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You would expect, humanly speaking, the rest of that verse would say, but he that rejecteth the Son of God hath not life. But that's not what it says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but not he that rejecteth, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. See, we look at it, well, there's three options. You either say yes to the Lord, you say no to the Lord, or you don't say anything. But with the Lord, there are two ways to look at it, not three. You either say yes to the Lord or no or no choice is one and the same. And when somebody comes to the place of what am I going to do with my life and they're standing at the crossroads and, and be it a teenager, be it somebody like Ruth who probably was 30 years old, give or take a little bit, be it somebody older than that. There is no age restriction to the will of God. You know like that verse that says thy word if I hit in my heart until I turn 25 and I don't have to memorize any more verses. There's no verse that says we can't wake up one day and say I'm too old to live for the will of God. There's no verse that says that either, believe me. We just think that. There's no verse that says we're too old for the will of God. Standing at the crossroads, it doesn't matter who, what, where, or when. We've got some choices to make. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow to live for the Lord or to live for myself, to do it God's way or to say I'll be my own God, to say I will live my life for the will of God or I will live my life for me. Standing at the crossroads, two ladies have a choice to make. One lady shows us my life for the will of God. The other lady, M&Ms or Skittles. So whatever happens to Ruth, you know, for Orpah, we watch her walk away, and, and if perhaps perchance, indeed, she has a relative named Goliath, that's just an interesting thing in, in history, I suppose. But when it comes to Ruth, there's just a little bit more than interesting things in history. This lady stands at the crossroads saying, my life for the will of God. And what happens next is astounding. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13. And I know we're missing a lot of story here, but in Ruth 4, 13, well, the Bible tells us, I'll just give you the in-between real quick. 
There was this gentleman named Boaz who meets Ruth and his heart starts thumping. He says, wilt thou, she wilts, and they get married. And in Bible times, when it says Boaz took Ruth, it's a Bible way of saying they got married. It was part of the ceremony. He would go to her house and take her to his house. It, it was part of the whole ceremony of two people being married. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And, and well, what do you know? When he went in her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. So one day Ruth said, said, hey, Boaz, eh, maybe. Guess what we're going to have in nine months? And nine months later, there's a bouncing little baby boy born, and everybody's happy and hugging that little guy, and what's his name? Well, we decide to name this little guy Obed. And one day Obed grows up. His heart starts thumping in his chest. He says, wilt thou, she wilt, they get married. One day Mrs. Obed says, guess we're going to have in nine months. Nine months later, there's a bouncing baby boy who's born. We're going to call this little guy Jesse. Jesse grows up, and one day his heart starts thumping in his chest. And he wilts, and she wilts, and they wilt, and the rest of them wilts. And pretty soon, nine months later, there's another little guy. And then another little guy. And another, and you know, I don't know if Ruth was still alive. I kind of think she was, but... But you can almost see great granny Ruth, you know, got the shawl, she's just cold and, and barely hanging in there. And it's great grandson number eight. Couldn't you have given me one great granddaughter? What is this? And, and they bring, you know, Jesse brings that little great grandson number eight and, and handsome the mama, great grandma, you know, she pulls back. To, well, he's certainly a cute little guy, with those red hair and the freckles. And, have you named him? Well, we thought we'd name this little guy David. And one day David grows up and his heart was thumping. Hey, your heart be thumping in your chest if you were looking at a giant nine and a half to 12 and a half feet tall, 272 pounds, 13 ounces of armor on. And old Goliath said, son, I'm going to finish you. And David said, is that right? And with that sling, he put a stone right there. And the next thing you know, they're singing a song. David is slain as tens of thousands. And when they got to the second verse of the cantata, they were singing, there's a king in Israel. In other words, the greatest king in world history was the great-grandson of that little lady standing at the crossroads. That's stunning, isn't it? Because as Ruth and Orpah are in the border between Bethlehem, Judah, and Moab, nobody's there with a video screen saying, all right, now take a look on the video here, and you see that king sitting on the throne. That's King David. And ladies, that king is going to be one of your great-granddaughters, or great-grandsons. I promise you, had the Lord done that, those two girls would have been fighting like alley cats to be the first lady into Bethlehem. But when you're at the crossroads, there are no screens. Sorry, but there are no contracts to sign. Do you know why? The just shall live by faith. And then standing at the crossroads, a lady who could never see it happening said, I, I don't know what it's going to cost. And I suspect she must have thought, I'm going to be the poorest of the poor. A widow would be bad enough. A Moabitess widow's impossible. But I'm living my life for the will of God. And what do you know? God is the God who does the impossible. And as impossible as the story could be, she has a great grandson named David. But you know, if that weren't impossible enough, I mean, it goes to a whole different level in Matthew 1. Would you just take your Bible real quickly to Matthew chapter number 1? And I know you're thinking if you know Matthew 1, there is no quick way through Matthew 1. Oh, oh, there is if you grew up in Connecticut. I'll show you what I mean here in a second. But in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Would you just notice that word begat? Boy, is that ever a good Bible word. 
The word begat basically means he met her. His heart started thumping. He said, wilt thou? She wilted, and they got married. And then one day she said, guess what we're going to have in nine months? Excuse me, this is a really good program. I know it's really complicated for people from Berkeley. Uh, I know, it, you know if, you, if you're from Harvard or, or you know, you're a lawyer in Boston, this is really, really profound. I mean, this is just, oh, I, I, if you're in Washington, it's probably going to sound like hate speech. But the plan that God created was one man and one lady. His heart's thumping, she wilts, they get married, and after they get married, they start having children. <laughs> really profound stuff, I know. And you know, really, humanity did really good by this for a long, long time. So for the last 10 years, we decided to try different ways. How's that working out? Not too good if you just watched the news last night. So the Bible tells us this whole begetting thing works real good. The begetting thing is one guy, one girl, his heart thumps, she wilts, then they have a child after they're married. And if you go to verse number five, Sam and begat Boaz of Rahab. Rahab would be the same as Rahab. Boy, is that ever a story? And then the Bible says Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Whoever would have thought that? I mean, what if you could have stood at the crossroads and says, okay, ladies, now you're going to have a great grandson named King David. God is going to be so impressed by your story that one of the 66 books in the Bible is going to be named after you so that in 3,000 years they're still going to be talking about you. But even more than that, when God writes the New Testament, your name's going to be in the fifth verse of the first chapter. I mean, this is impossible. That there it is. Bo Obed begat, uh, Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David. David begat Solomon. Solomon, Raboma, Rabomai, Abai, Ace, Ace, Jasper, Jasper, Jom, Jom, Mazai, Jotham, Jotham, Akez, Akez, Zekez, Zekez, Manasseh, Manasseh, Amen, Amen, Sai, 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 and now the Bible tells us there's this Jacob kid who grows up. His heart starts thumping. He says, wilt thou, she wilt, they get married. One day, Mrs. Jacob says, guess what we're going to have in nine months. And nine months later, they bring a bouncing baby boy into the world, and they name him Joseph. And one day, Joseph's heart starts thumping. He says, wilt thou, she wilts. But this time, before they come together in marriage, she's going to have a child. And, you know, I don't know if we appreciate this enough. Joseph was an incredibly godly guy. I mean, he just gets bypassed even in the Christmas story. He's just incredibly, he was just, that's a tremendous thing in the Old Testament. He was a man of unbelievable faith and obedience. God said, pack your suitcase, son, and go to Egypt. And he didn't, he didn't wait for the sunrise. I mean, this man was just a godly, godly guy. And while the law said, you know, you can take that woman who's going to be with child and stone her. Joseph was minded to put her away, divorce her privately. And that's when the angel of the Lord came and said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And, and what a touch. It happened in a little place called Bethlehem. What do you know? That same little sign that said that way to Bethlehem, it was in Bethlehem that the great, 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 you can figure out how many greats get in there later. The great, great grandson of Ruth is born, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever would have thought.
standing at the crossroads that day, thinking not only am I a widow, I'm a Moabitess widow who's going to live in the Lamb, the Bethlehem. There is no tomorrow. There is no future. I don't even know where the next meal's coming from. It'll take a miracle for me to get a bite to eat. And yet you and I look back and smile at one of the greatest women in world history. And we watch as God led her every step of the way. We watch a woman surrender her life to the will of God who says, my life for God's will. I go where he wants. I live where he wants. His people are my people. He is my God until I die. And now we watch the Lord give her a great, great grandson named David. We watch the Lord put her story in the eternal words of God. We watch her great, 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 great grandson go to Calvary. And my all we can do is smile at this woman, Ruth, and say what a choice she made. And that's why every time I read Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5, two things are so stunning. First, it's amazing what it says. Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. What a story that is. A story for the ages. Even Hollywood can't get it right. And yet, when I read Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5, not only am I stunned by what it says, but I'm also impressed at what it could say. How, how easily could it read, Boaz begat Obed of Orpah? So why does it say Ruth and not Orpah? Because when Ruth stood at the crossroads, she said, I go where God wants my life for the will of God. But when Orpah stands at the exact same crossroads, she says, M&Ms or Skittles, I just don't decide. It is not do I make the right choice or do I make the wrong choice. When I make no choice, no choice is the wrong choice. See, that's why somebody could sit in a building like this this morning and and somebody like your pastor could preach the gospels, it's called, the good news that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and he rose again. And someone could say, I want him as my savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I understand there is no way to heaven except for the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And someone this morning could say, I choose to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But you know, someone could leave this building without Christ. And, and oh, I suppose there's different ways to do this. I, I suppose somebody could walk out the door and they could look up to the sky and shake their fist at heaven and say, I don't want God in my life. I am never getting anywhere near the Bible again. They could blaspheme, curse the name of God and walk away just mocking God every single step and never again walk into a service like this. Somebody else could walk out the door and say, you know, Pastor, I know I need Christ as my Savior, and one day I intend to get that settled, just not today. But here's the thing. To make no choice is to make the wrong choice. Either you believe or you believe not. It is not either you believe or you reject. You believe or you believe not. And so, in other words, what the Bible is saying is if somebody walks out that door and they're shaking a fist at God and they're cursing his name and they die in their sleep tonight, the Bible says, and in hell they will lift up their eyes. But if somebody walks out saying, just not today, or I'm persuaded that God, they don't have to want God, but if they die without Christ tonight, they wake up in the same hell. If you're not with me, you're against me. So if you 
ever called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, we'd love to open the Bible and let you see for yourself how you can know that Christ is your Savior. If you say, I'd like to know, I want to know what the Bible says, please give us that privilege today. You say, well, you know, I know I need Jesus and I know I need changes and there are things I know I need in my life. Just not today. You need to be warned and you need to beware that for somebody who says no to Christ or somebody who says not today to Christ, the end result is still the same. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting. He that believeth the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. There's choices to make. We watched Elimelech this morning make some choices that led his family down the wrong path. We watched two young ladies stand at a crossroads to make choices in their life. One lady shows us how to choose the will of God. The other lady, it's pretty much M&Ms or Skittles. But if there's a message that rings out of Ruth chapter 1, there's right choices, there's wrong choices, but no choice is the wrong choice. Father in heaven, I ask and pray that you would do a mighty work this morning right here in our hearts and lives in this place. For someone who's never called on the name of the Lord Jesus, what a great day to be saved. Now for your people, oh Lord, impress upon our hearts the importance of choosing today whom we will serve. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,